Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, welcome to Lent. <laughs> we saw many of you at the Ash Wednesday service a few day- nights ago, braving the snow and the cold. It was a wonderful service. Thank you for coming, those who were able to come. Um, and for those here who observing Lent is kind of a new thing for you, you know, we're going to be sharing a few thoughts during this sermon, but during in, in the weeks to come as to why, why Lent? Why do we observe Lent? Why do we even give it mind? Especially for us kind of Protestant, Wesleyan, grace-filled Christians, uh, Lent might be kind of a new thing. But of course, during the season of Lent, we intentionally engage in practices that encourage us to feel the weight of our mortality and our need for a savior. I mean, if you had to give it just like a one-liner, it's a season that help us feel the weight of our mortality and our need for a savior. And by doing so, by feeling this weight, by aligning our hearts in this way, we kind of come alongside Jesus in the path that he walks before us. We set the stage for the jubilant celebration that we know is coming in Easter, in the celebrations of Easter. Therefore, we observe Lent as a season of preparation. It's a lot like Advent leading us up to Christmas morning. You know, and after all, the season of Lent is a 40-day season with Sundays in between, so 45 days, but the Sundays in Lent are not of Lent. So, depending on how you choose to do it, but if you're fasting, you're welcome to not fast on Sundays because Sunday is always a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. But the season of Lent is 40 days. The season of Easter is 50 days because in the economy of heaven, in the economy of the kingdom, the feast always outlasts the fast. That's a quote that I lovingly borrowed from Andy Lucas. I used to love, he said that every year. I love it. You know, this season of preparation is marked by a few things. Of course, it's marked by worship and devotion, celebrating all that's good in our lives, while also lamenting the things in our lives and in the world that are not in line with God's love, his kingdom, his commands. Namely, that there's sin, that sin persists. And we encounter that sin, even despite our salvation in Christ from time to time. We confess our sins. We cling to our Savior, Jesus, from whom all hope and help comes from. That's why Lent is also marked by moments of confession We also intentionally enact the kingdom by giving generously of our time and our talent and our resources. And then finally, we align our bodies and our hearts with the journey that Jesus walked on behalf 
of us by participating in a fast. Many of you are participating in a fast in some way, either fasting from food or fasting from something that uh, you love dearly, but you're giving up for a season of Lent. Maybe you're fasting something that's gotten a little out of sync in your life. But these tangible practices of Lent are meant to point us to two important things. First, that God has loved us and made himself known to us. He dwelt among us. He has defeated the power of sin and death through the cross and his resurrection. He taught us how to live and enact the values of the kingdom. And he has empowered us to this service through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. That is the first thing that we mark in the season of Lent. And second, we mark this, that in order for this hope to reach all mankind, God has invited us to join him in that redemptive work of the kingdom. And while this work continues, we acknowledge the existence of sin and death in our world. It still has sway in the dark places where our own selfishness or our own brokenness remain unchecked. We lament and we mourn this reality, this tension, but we faithfully engage in the work of the graceful kingdom. So in other words, while we live our Christian lives in celebration of the new life that we have in Christ, in this season, we also recognize that there's a gap. We talked about this all throughout Advent, that Christ has come. We have the already, and yet the fulfillment of God's kingdom in full is yet to come. We're looking forward to this second Advent. We live in that tension, of the already come kingdom and the yet to come redemption of all things. Here's a quote by theologian Mariette Anschutz, and it says, Lenten practice engages the dark places in our lives, that we may come face to face with them, name them, understand them, and seek forgiveness for them. It's not about guilt. It's all about freedom from the control that our fears and insecurities have over us. It's all about refinement of our lives and new beginnings. I love that. I love that because it's honest with the fact that we all face these moments in which we need redemption. We need a savior and that we tend to fall short. Some of you are predominantly optimistic people. I'm sorry, Lent is hard for you. <laughs> you know, we we know we have grace and we have freedom in Christ. We know that Christ is coming. It's hard for us to sit in this tension. Some of you lean a little bit towards the pessimistic side of things. And for you, you're welcome. Lent is, <laughs> you, you can do Lent. That's great. <laughs> you know, whichever way you may lean, whether we consider you know, whenever we consider the uncomfortable truths of our human experience, we always do so through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. So during the season of Lent, we'll walk humbly the path that Christ has walked before us, recognizing the hard places and the glorious moments as well. So any idea where we're starting our Lenten 
considerations today? The titles on your thing. Right. <laughs> We're starting with the fun one. We're starting with sin. <laughs> We're going to be talking about sin today. The most kind of inconvenient aspect of our lives is that, spoiler, we have a sin problem. <laughs> and by that, I mean that there are ways that the world and humanity are meant to function by God's design. And yet, we often fall short. We fail to function in this way, whether we or whether it's the world around us. When we fail in these ways, either willingly or unwillingly, we fall short of God's intended created order and we find ourselves in sin. In Genesis, we receive the story, of course, of creation and man's original vocation, but then also the first willful rejection of that created order that God intended. We have this story in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And ever since that moment, God has been graciously working to call humanity and creation back into harmony with himself. The story goes like this, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And then we might remember how the story goes next. You know, there's this talking snake character who shows up and begins talking to Adam and Eve, the man and the woman. And he starts saying, did God really say it like that? He starts twisting the words. He starts twisting the ideas. He starts making the man and the woman second guess what God had said. And he makes them start second guessing the utopia in which they're living. <laughs> you see, the orthodox theological opinion of what this is all about believes that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the wisdom of God. And that acquiring the wisdom of God through selfish means, through individual consumption, it leads to our independence from God rather than our dependence upon him. Independence from God disconnects us from the source of life which we are created to be plugged into. Disconnection from our source of life results in death entering into our experience. Independence from God disconnects us from the source of life which we were all created to enjoy. Disconnection from our source of life results in death to our created nature. So rather than abiding in all that God had provided in the garden, rather than remaining connected to our source, rather than holding the awe-filled wonder that there might be even more out there that the, we're not experiencing the wisdom of God, which we might experience in moments yet to come. We just don't know those details. We traded in that birthright for self-reliance, for independence, for selfish consumption. Therefore, we have a sin problem. 
So to recap, let's remind ourselves of a couple things. First, God created all things and called them good. His mind is made up about you. And the news is good news. Second, God has an idea of how the created order, creation and humanity, is designed to operate. Third, mankind has not always chosen to follow that created order, which has resulted in the introduction of sin and death into our experience. And, and fourth, sin and death are not God's design. They're not his intention. And all of his work in this world is aimed at providing a lifeline out of sin and death in healing and life. So today, we'll be considering the struggle that we have with sin and the temptation that's often the prerequisite or the, the leading factor of sin. We're gonna do this in openness and humility, I hope. <laughs> Our goal is to bring this truly a human experience that we all have, that our experience, our church, our culture tends to heap this big pile of shame right on top of, so we don't want to talk about it. We're going to try to brag, drag that out into the open this morning and let God's light shine upon it so that we can receive his grace and mercy. But very quickly, let me um, do one more thing. Some of you are going to hate this. Some of you are going to be fine with this because you like this kind of stuff. But let's talk about the theological understanding of sin because we understand sin in two, two ways, right? Original sin. Have you heard this concept, original sin? This is the inherited tendency to stray from the will of God and his original design for humankind due to the introduction of sin and death through the fall, through the story we just heard. Essentially, what we just discussed, it's resulted in human mankind being deprived of the image of God, which was created in all of us, the, the Imago Dei. I've got one pastor friend here. He probably knows the Imago Dei, which is the image of God that's born into all humanity, that this has been corrupted by this original sin. We've been deprived of it, and it's a matter of unveiling that. Second is personal sin. These are the acts of willful violation to the known ways of the kingdom, whether it's the laws or statutes that God gave in scripture. These are committed by a morally responsible person. So we know what God would have us do, and we willfully choose not to do it. This is the sin of a hurt, broken heart, sometimes out of rebellion, sometimes just out of brokenness. It hurts and it hardens us to God's love. It causes us to alienate and separate ourselves from God. In either case, sin is not God's design and he longs to bring healing and freedom from its effects in our lives. But we have an adversary at work in the world. We don't like to talk about this very often. Some churches love to talk about this all the time, <laughs> all the time. But whether you love this idea or you don't, we're going to be talking about this idea that we have an adversary, the Satan, the devil, the enemy, whatever it is, the tempter. 
And the tempter is still at work, twisting our view of God's heart. But here lies another beautiful aspect of this miraculous idea called the incarnation, that God dwelt among us in human flesh. Hebrews 14 reminds us that Jesus understands our weakness because he faced the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So we may come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help when we are in the most need. Jesus has faced the same testings that we have, yet he did not sin. How does that make you feel? Encouraged? Discouraged? <laughs> Jesus shows us the path. He shows us the recipe, so to speak, for resisting temptation and living in freedom because he did it in his human body. This morning, we're going to be hearing these, this story from our gospel and our New Testament reading from the lectionary passages for this week, the first week of Lent. But before we hear the word, let us pray for God's illumination. O oh Lord, may the words of your mouth be our daily bread. And may the leading of your spirit become our way. Humbly we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our first passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This will be on the screens for you. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Surprise. <laughs> the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him, took him to a, the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command the angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said, answered him saying, it is also written do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, go away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever fasted and felt like you came out the other end a little worse for wear? Like this is Jesus. He just spent 40 days fasting and bam, he's getting tempted. What the heck? <laughs> this story's crazy and it might be hard for us to relate to. 
Like the story from Genesis, it sounds like a sequence from a movie or like a vivid, lucid dream. I mean, how many of us have, have physically seen Satan in our presence speaking and quoting scripture to us? On the other hand, how many of us have had crazy thoughts? Like, you, there's no other way to d- describe it. Like, why am I thinking this crazy thought? How many of you have had just crazy thoughts that like run counter to everything that you know, every experience that you've had, every endeavor that for your life, you're, you're just kind of surprised by this idea. I think many more of us have that experience. But regardless of the form of the details, I think we can all relate to the temptations that come, which invite us to claim personal power over our situation. These temptations to step into total self-reliance, which invite us into a powerful feeling that results from claiming our own strength, our own power, our own selfish ambition, whatever it is. Because Jesus, you know, he's tempted here by bread, for his hunger. He's tempted to save himself from danger. He's tempted to take all the power of the world that the devil can offer. And each time he rejects this temptation, he's pointing us back to reliance on God. He's pointing us back to his dependence upon the Lord. Certainly, Jesus could have saved himself from these temptations. He could have just not even been tempted. That was within God's power. But likewise, Jesus could have saved himself from the experience of the cross, experience of the resurrection. But the glory of the incarnation in Jesus tells us this thing. It knows that in our humanity, we need to see God offer his own sacrifice to refuse temptation in order to understand what it means to truly be dependent upon God in every aspect of our lives. You see, in this passage, it feels like there's three temptations, but really there's just one temptation. The devil has kind of a one-track mind. As from the beginning, even in Genesis... His one temptation is to call you to go after your own power. He even says it. He, you know, quoting from Genesis, he says, you will be like God. That's his trick. Evidently, he knows that there's no surer path to self-destruction than willful self-reliance and self-centeredness. And see this. The passage, the scripture passage that Jesus used in his rebuttals to the temptations of the enemy, that these were all taken from the story of Israel. You might recognize some of those quotes because, as a matter of fact, they all come from the book of Deuteronomy, which we used in our Transfiguration Sunday passage. This commencement speech from Moses to the children of Israel right before they cross the Jordan and step into the promised land. And what is he calling them to do? He's calling them to choose life 
and to reject death. Just before the temptation of Jesus, Jesus has been baptized like Israel crossing the Red Sea and the Jordan. Then he faces in 40 days and 40 nights the equivalent of Israel's 40 years in the desert. But where Israel failed time after time in their dependence upon God, Jesus shows us how to succeed. Here at last, Jesus is the true vision of humanity. Where Adam and Eve failed, where the nation of Israel often failed, where we might fail, Jesus shows us the way. He's accomplished what God intended for us all along, to honor the will of God, remaining in complete dependence upon him as our source of life, and even in the face of power, to reject it in favor of the life that comes through reliance upon the Lord. N.T. Wright says it like this, the temptations we face day by day and, and at critical moments of decision and vocation in our lives may be different from those of Jesus, but they have the same point. They are not simply trying to entice us into committing this or that sin. They're trying to distract us to turn us aside from the path of servanthood to which our baptism has commissioned us. God has a costly and yet wonderfully glorious vocation for each one of us. And it begins in dependence upon God as our source. Jesus reveals that the way to freedom from personal and original sin is through dependence on the truth and mercy of God. Jesus provides us freedom from sin and death and through the cross and resurrection, bringing victory over the taint of sin upon our lives and inviting us into, independent or into dependence upon the truth and love and mercy that God provides. Let's hear it this way from Romans chapter five. This will be on the screens for you. This is Paul's way of wrestling with this idea. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was no law. There was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. <laughs> From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads 
too are being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation to everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. That's good. You know, reading Paul can feel a bit like kind of mental or intellectual gymnastics because the language is so rich and he's like connecting these ideas together that are like sometimes are beyond us. But here's the takeaway. Freedom from sin and the escape route from temptation was bought and guaranteed through Jesus, the new Adam Humanity made perfect, and it is gifted to us through relationship with Jesus. This freedom comes in moments in which you are released from burdens of sin, but it's also a lifelong process. That's the part that I think trips us up so often. We feel like, hey, we've come to the cross. We receive forgiveness. Jesus has worked in my life. I might not be struggling with that anymore, but why am I struggling with this? Freedom comes in miraculous moments and a lifelong process of refinement. Receiving the gift of mercy, grace, and redemption is joy Release from bondage may result in tears, but God is not looking for the right amounts of shame or guilt as a prerequisite to your healing. The shame and guilt that comes or that tends to go hand in hand with sin, this is a false narrative made by the enemy to keep us resistant from open encounter with God. The life of a follower of Jesus is not about perfection or infallibility. It's about humil humility and confession. Is that good news for you today? The life of a follower of Jesus is not about perfection and infallibility. It's about humility and confession. The life that we have in Jesus is not about behavioral control. Our actions, our thoughts, our desires, they might be affected by our relationship with Christ but it's not about getting you to do and not do the right and wrong things. It's about dependence upon God. When we sin, may we be quick to confess our shortcomings 
and then work diligently to remove the temptations that perhaps lead us to that sin. When we sin, may we be quick to confess our shortcomings and diligently work to remove the temptations that lead us into those sins. So failure in the life of a Christ follower is not found in sin. It's found in the unrepentant heart. It's found in hiding from God because of shame and guilt that we may carry. Success, however, for the follower of Christ is living the entire human experience, the entire vocation, the temptations, the shortcomings, and redemption in openness and humility before the Lord. We seek forgiveness when we fail. We receive strength in our weakness. We gain freedom from the bondage of sin and death through sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And we work to bring the light and life of Christ to a world desperate to know the affections of a father who will never let them go. So this morning during and you know, during this entire season of Lent, the invitation is this. May we humbly shed our independence in favor of self-reliance or in favor of reliance upon the tender mercies of God. May we feel the weight of our mortality and perhaps the weight of our sin, not through the burden that we carry in shame and guilt, but through the weightlessness that we experience when we lay those burdens at the foot of the cross. And may we intercede for the lost and hurting world that the hope and life of Christ would be renewing all things, shedding light in the darkness in all of its forms. And may we be the hands and feet of Christ to carry that love everywhere that we go. In closing, I'd like to invite us into a time of prayer. Throughout this season, we'll be praying kind of the um, familiar prayer of confession that we all have heard before. We'll be praying this corporate prayer. But this morning, I'd also like to give us time for personal prayer and response. Let us begin by praying this prayer together. It'll be on the screens for you. Please join me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You know, this morning I'd invite you to a moment of kind of responsive prayer. We don't typically do this here, 
but that's okay. We're going to be engaging in this idea a little bit. We're going to be considering the ways in which our life might be defined in self-reliance. Perhaps you have been reminded of moments of willful, willful times in which you chose to turn your back on the Lord. Perhaps you're simply mindfully, mindful of all the ways in which you feel the weight of the original sin that we all carry. Either way, I invite you to openly name these things before the Lord this morning, to openly confess those. Here's a few ways that you may choose to enact this moment. You might choose to just pray in a posture of prayer there at your seat. You might even kneel at your seat, allowing it to be an altar. Of course, we have these altars here on the side of our sanctuary, which we utilize. If you're feeling especially, uh, I don't know the word, Hebrewic, you might lay prostrate. That was the way that the Hebrews prayed, laying prostrate upon the floor. If you'd like to receive prayer from another, perhaps, a trusted friend or a family member, you might just turn to someone and say, would you mind praying with me? Whether you say or confess anything to one another or not, that's up to you. But you might just spend a moment in prayer with the person beside you. You may choose in a way that is familiar to many of us through our tradition by coming to the front. We don't do that around here very often. But if leaving your seat and embodying a moment of prayer is important for you, you're welcome to come and stand or kneel here at the front. However you choose to respond, know this. There's no assumptions or presumptions being made upon, about you. We're all here experiencing the same moment. We'll linger in a few moments of silence and prayer before we gather at the Lord's table. Let us pray.